You are what you eat. I'm sure you know what this phrase means. I mean, we've said it a lot in our life. What you eat directly affects your body and its output. If you eat healthy, you live healthy. But the opposite's also true. If you eat poorly, your health diminishes and you have more problems emerge that stem from diet. You are what you eat. This is an idiom about health. It hit American consciousness in 1942, and it came from French and German philosophical thought. In 1942, American nutritionist Victor Lindler published You Are What You Eat, How to Win and Keep Health with Diet. This phrase, it lay dormant within academic circles for a while until the 60s, when the hippie generation grabbed hold of it. Now, a lot of you were a part of this and probably remember. In the 60s, Americans pushed for a macrobiotic whole foods diet. And this phrase was adopted as one of the slogans for healthy eating in the 60s. You are what you eat. I find this interesting because it mirrors so much of what, and I've said this before, what science is starting to figure out that religion already knows to be true. You are what you eat feels more like a spiritual phrase than it does nutritional. For centuries, the Catholic Church has been teaching transubstantiation, while Protestants teach consubstantiation. They're similar doctrinal ideas, and they both deal with the bread and wine of communion and what happens when we partake. Now, Catholics believe the bread and wine literally change into the body and blood of Jesus when they eat it. Protestants, we don't. We see it as a symbol of the body and blood of Jesus. And every time we partake of the meal, we remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Either way, for both Catholics and Protestants, we know the spiritual link between food and the body. You are what you eat. Now, like any good Protestant and First John scholar, I'm not suggesting any of this to be literal. You aren't literally a hamburger or ice cream. You are impacted by it. Something transpires and unfolds and has a lasting effect because of something you've eaten. What you put into your body directly impacts your personhood and your health. This is true physically and spiritually. So I'm about to use this phrase, you are what you eat, as a metaphor for understanding our passage in 1 John and how we understand our relationship with God better. I'm going to read 1 John 4, 16-21 again, but this time I want you to strongly consider the phrase, you are what you eat. See if you can make the connection and then I'll break it down for us afterwards. Here's 1 John 4, starting in the back half of verse 16. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. That's a phrase right there. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, 
But perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Okay, so that's our text. Now I want to break this down with you together. Verse 16. God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. I mean, this captures perfectly. You are what you eat, idiom. God is love. For those who abide in love remain in love and invest in love and inject love into their being. We eat love, if you will. We abide with God. And when we do, God abides in us. We invite God in. God's abiding love takes on new life in us. We could say every time we love or feel love or share love or love ourselves, every time we engage in loving acts, we become that which comes from God. We reflect love because we are what we eat. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now that's a great line from verse 17. The whole verse is, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment. Because he is, so are we in this world. I love this phrase. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You can hear the call to the final days of Jesus' return here and our judgment before God. And keep in mind, 1 John anticipates the end of the world in their lifetime. It controls their theology. God's return for them is imminent. So make sure you are someone who bears the capacity to love because you are what you eat. And now scripture takes this idiom and shows its underbelly. Just like with healthy foods, if we eat unhealthily, then that's what's in us too. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. In other words, if you inject love, then you're healthy and don't have to worry about that which makes you unhealthy, which is fear. There is no fear in love. Love casts out fear. Fear is the unhealthy eating of the spiritual world. Whoever fears has not reached perfect love. Remember, you are what you eat. If you eat fear, you become a fearful person, which attacks the nervous system of love. But to abide in God means to abide in love, and if you do that, you can have no fear. Now, I think I should say here, I don't think the elder is talking about phobias or parenting fears or like protecting your children or a fear that comes with uncertainty. I really feel the elder's worldview is strictly about Jesus returning and the church needs to be ready. And they need the faith to know that they aren't going to perish. When God returns, they will abide with God. Because you are what you eat. And what we need to eat is love. Verses 19 and 20. 
We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You can say you eat healthy, but the body keeps the score. If you're snacking at midnight every night or eating 3,000 calories of Nutella between meals that aren't well balanced to begin with and you're not eating fruits and vegetables or not getting enough protein, but you're still portraying the idea in your mind that you're someone who eats healthy, well, you're a liar. Not in a mean way. You're just deceiving yourself. It's not true. I mean, the same is true for spirituality. Those who say, I love God, but they don't demonstrate that love to their neighbor, they're deceiving themselves. You can't abide in God's love and have God abide in you and then hate those around you. 1 John has a visceral connection to what we take into our bodies is what comes out of it. Our actions in the world, if we bring in love, if we accept Christ and live for and in Christ, then our actions should demonstrate that love to those around us because we are what we eat. And if we eat trash, we'll act like trash. If you're treating others like trash, then you don't know God because God isn't trash. God's love. And if we bring God into our lives, we can't turn around and make God into trash. God turns us into love. You know, the elder of 1 John sounds a lot like James here. Our actions demonstrate our faith. Our faith without works is dead, and the works we do must include loving one another, like our neighbor. Look at verse 21. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. What we are is what we eat. What we inject into our bodies affects us. There's so many fun ways to play with this idea and text together. Now we often say Christians are the body of Christ. It works at an individual level and a corporate one too. Either way, what we bring in transforms us. And that's what gets shared out in the world to one another. I want to close with this. The big argument in 1 John is that a group of the church has left and they're preaching a false doctrine. There's a detracting group and they're splitting up the church's community. And the church is rightfully fearful, scared, and uncertain about its future. So the elder pens a letter, a preaching word. And he says to this body of community, you don't need to fear, and you should definitely not hate those who leave. You should love them. There's something so much that still needs to be addressed here, and I think you need to take this and wrestle with it in your own spiritual life. I'll just prompt you by saying, don't fear the changing climate of our times, because you are what you eat. Yes, church and culture and friendships and waves of being in the community, they're changing. But you have Christ in your life, which means you have God's love abiding in you. The world will forever and continue to swirl and change, but you are rooted and safe and secure because God abides in you. And as He is, 
so are you in the world. And God is love, and so are you. And to be certain that you aren't fearing, you have a foolproof way to discern. See how you're treating those around you. You are what you eat. If you're hating others or fearing the world around you, it's because you've put fear and hate in you. And those things aren't from God. So ask yourself, who do you hate? Why do you hate them? Who do you fear? Why do you fear them? Or what do you fear? And why do you fear it? Perhaps just by asking yourselves these questions, you'll realize that you've gotten into some unhealthy eating habits, and it's time you change. Because as he is, so are you in this world. And God is love, and you should be too.